Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. All right. Well, you can enjoy that video again on YouTube uh, if you'd like to. Uh, just search for Christmas According to Kids, and you can watch it all the time. It's really, there's like three or four of them. They're all pretty funny. Um, if there's any other kids that are in here who didn't come up and uh, sing, but are wanting to go over and they're doing a birthday party for Jesus this morning, uh, Emily is here. If there's any kids that want to go over there, uh, Emily, if you want to walk to the back, feel free to meet Emily back there. If not, that's okay, but we just wanted to give the option for anyone who may have not wanted to come sing, but still wants to go over there and enjoy with the kids. All right. Um, well, this morning, uh, Pastor Don, as you have heard, is in Baku. Uh, I just saw some pictures on social media, on Facebook. There's about four or five pictures that Don posted of uh, the first Christian worship service, public Christian worship service in Baku. I think it, the, he said that there was about 600 people there, which is an amazing uh, event for, for that country, which is really, really cool. And so he came to me a few uh, weeks ago and said, hey, can you preach? And he said, and the topic that you decide, it's going to be easy for you to decide. And I said, yeah, why? And he said, because it's the Sunday right before Christmas. And I said, oh, okay, so I'll talk about Christmas. He said, yeah, you need to talk about Christmas. And so, uh, so that's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to share a little bit about Christmas. I want to share a few passages of Scripture that um, maybe aren't normally associated with Christmas. Because if you um, were to go to a, a service and hear a Christmas story, uh, you'd usually hear from the book of Matthew or, you know, the book of Luke, the two gospels that give a an extended account of the birth of Jesus and talk about all the different things that happened. I'm going to go somewhere else this morning, but before I do that, I want to ask you guys a question. I like to get to know everyone. Um, so this is going to be an audience participation. Raise your hand if this describes you. And the question is, when does Christmas season officially begin for you? When does Christmas season officially begin for you? Is there anyone out there who would say, you know, the day after October, the day after Halloween, Christmas officially begins for me? So November 1st, anyone that early? Oh yeah, a few of you guys, all right. Anyone would say, uh, when the weather gets cold, that's when I decide it's finally Christmas season. Anyone, that's a little bit more, a little different, a little vague. Does anyone wait until like, Let's just wait until maybe a week or a week and a half before Christmas. Like you want to wait. Wow. We only had three or four in the last service. A lot of folks are like last minute. Let's, let's wait. And then anyone who this is probably going to be the biggest group the day after Thanksgiving, that is when Christmas begins for you. Yeah. Does anyone disagree with anyone, the other people in their house about when Christmas should start? And it's a fight every year about when Christmas is going to begin. Some of those as well. Yep. And so this past year, I have four kids. In case you didn't know, they are now 10 seven, five, and four. And uh, last year we discovered a new time when the Christmas season officially begins. I think it was when it began for the kids. And I wanna tell you the story about this. So we were living in Aiken still at that point. And my uh, second, how would you say that? My third, my second oldest, Macy was, I guess, six years old at that point. Um, and this story involves her, but I was, me and, uh, we were sleeping. Their room is upstairs. Their rooms are upstairs. Uh, my, our room is downstairs and we had a cat and we had a dog. And so we're sleeping. It's probably mid-November around that time, maybe early November. And um, I wake up to this sound that sounds kind of like, like scratching, like ch 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 
And our dog and our cat had a tendency to kind of get up in the middle of the night and, you know, ruin your sleep. You may have a cat especially that does that. Um, and they would do that. And so I kind of wake up and I'm thinking, oh, that's just, that's just the dog. That's just the cat. So I fall back asleep. And a couple minutes later, it's like even louder. So I decide I'm going to get up and figure this out because, you know, sounds in the middle of the night, you want to know what the sounds are. I wake, I get up and as I'm getting up, I see that the cat is laying there in our bed because it always liked to lay right in between us. And so the cat is accounted for. It's not the cat. I get up, I step down, I look down on the carpet. Our dog is laying there sleeping. So the dog is accounted for as well. So it's not the dog or the cat. And so I'm now I'm getting really curious. What? What is going on here? What is that sound? Because you guys know the sound of like mice in your house. We used to have a lot of mice, but it was different than the sound of mice. And so I walk down the hall and I peek into our living room because I figured out that's where the sound was coming from. It wasn't a dog, it wasn't an animal, a cat, a mouse. It was Macy, our six-year-old. And she had laid up in our rocking chair with the Target gift catalog and a highlighter. And she was circling all of the toys that she wanted for Christmas. This was 3 a.m., three in the morning. And so I'm like, Macy, what are you doing? She's like, I'm just getting ready for Christmas. And I said, it's 3 a.m. And she's like, is that, is that late? I was like, yes, you have to go back to bed. So she had decided in the middle of the night to just wake up, come down, grab the Target catalog and get her Christmas list ready. It was, it was really, really funny. Um, so that's when Christmas officially had started for her when those come in. And now I saw that Amazon, anybody get an Amazon, Amazon catalog this year? That thing was nice. My kids were like gathered around the table and we were like, circle all you want to. You're not getting any of it. So, but they did circle a lot of stuff. Um, probably their grandparents will get it for them, but they circled a bunch of stuff. Um, and so this morning, I wanna talk about a little bit about Christmas. I wanna share from a couple of passages. As I said before, it's not the passages of Jesus's birth, but it is a passage about Jesus's birth. And we're going to start in the Gospel of John, verses one, uh, chapter 1, verse 14, and chapter 1, verse 18. And so this is John who is sharing with the world his understanding, really, of Christmas. John is sharing right at the beginning as of the identity of who Jesus is, that when Jesus came that first Christmas morning, he is letting everyone know this is what was going on. And he goes even further than just saying the events. He goes and says, hey, this is so much bigger than just a baby being born in a stable. And so this is John 1, verse 14. This is what John says. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And so John is saying when Christmas happened on that Christmas morning, what was happening was the word became flesh. And for us, 2019, that might sound kind of weird. Like, what is he talking about? The word becoming flesh. But back then in that day, this word, word was this word logos. And to these people in the first century, the logos was basically the, the, the ground level, the everything that exists in the world. It is like the, the driving force behind history, the driving force behind creation. Everything that was can be summed up in this word, logos. And what John was saying is this very embodiment of everything that's important in the world, everything that matters became flesh, became a human. 
And we know that it's Jesus that he's talking about, that this, this, this word, this logos became flesh. And why did he do that? Then he says, because, because in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God as in closest relationship with the father has made him known. So John says this word, this logos, this over, overarching force behind the world is not really a force at all. It's a person. And this person is Jesus. And when this Jesus came to the world, we saw his glory. And that glory was the revelation of the Father who is in heaven. And so Jesus came to show us who God really was. For thousands of years, people had been trying to figure out who God was. Every religion across the world, every society is seeking to know the unknown, to figure out the supernatural. They all realize there's something behind the material world that we see. And every religion is trying to figure out what that is. And 2,000 years ago, John says, we don't have to seek and try to find it. It was made known to us through Jesus through the Logos, through the word. And for thousands of years, God had been speaking through prophets. In Hebrews 1, it says this. It says that in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And do you know what happened? Every time people forgot about it, people messed up the message, people distorted who God really was. And so says Hebrews 1, 1, 2, or Hebrews 1, 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. And so John and then here in Hebrews is saying that this word, this logos, this overarching force, this thing that created everything is a person. It's God, the son. He came to earth as a child. He showed us when he was born. And then when he died and when he uh, was resurrected, this whole time period of 33 plus years, he was showing us exactly who God is. And if we want to know God, if we want to know who this creator God is, we can look to the life of Jesus. That's an amazing statement that John was making there. And so here's what, here's what I know as I think about my life. I think this is so cool. I was thinking about this week, how, you know, Jesus, the son revealed God, the father. That really speaks to me because as a student pastor and, you know, as a kid's pastor, I was a student pastor for 10 years, kid's pastor now, um, and a parent of four kids, one of the things I have realized, maybe you have realized this, is your kids talk about you. Did you know that? Your kids say things about what's going on at home. So your teachers, like in their schools, they know you. They don't know you because they know you. They know you because they know your kids and your kids talk about you. And so I don't know if you've ever done this. Have you ever done something at home where you're like, oh, if my kids tell the teacher this, they're gonna be like, what is going on in your house, right? That, that happens and, and you, can, you can see a little bit about parents by watching their kids and not just the words they say, but the way they live their life by their, their outlook and their attitude on life that children are always a reflection in some degree of their parents, and John is saying that Jesus is the perfect representation of his father who is in heaven. And so if we want to know 
who God is so that we can glorify God. As Christians, our number one goal in life is to glorify God with everything that we do. If we want to be able to do that, then we need to know who God is and we can look at Jesus to see who God is. And not only that, we can look at the life of Jesus, see the way that Jesus glorified his father and we can do that. If we do that, we'll glorify God with our life. And so I look at the life of Jesus and I ask the question, what one word describes what Jesus did that if we do that same word, we will glorify the Father in the same way that Jesus glorified the Father. And the word that I always come back to is the word sacrifice. It's sacrifice. And we all say, yeah, Jesus definitely sacrificed his life on the cross, we know this, to, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we can have a relationship with Father. But think about this, Jesus didn't just sacrifice his life then. Think about the Christmas story. Think about what was happening on that first Christmas morning. If there's, that's, there's no greater example of sacrifice other than the cross than what happened on Christmas morning. Because you have to imagine Jesus, God the Son, in heaven with God the Father. They're looking down on the earth. Jesus is experiencing perfection and purity and holiness. Like everything is perfect in heaven. And that's where God the Son and God the Father are. And he looks down on this world and he sees a people who have disobeyed. A people who have rebelled. A people who because of their sin, because of their disobedience and rebellion, because they've decided to choose their own way, have created a world that's full of sin and darkness and death and heartache and troubles and fighting and, and murder and everything that God didn't want in this world was now there in this world because of the way people decided to live their lives. And so you can imagine God looking down, Jesus looking down, seeing that. And he decided to come into that. He decided to sacrifice and come into a world that was so broken, even though he knew perfection in heaven. What an amazing Christmas miracle that is, that God would choose to come to be one of us. And there's a passage I wanna share with you in Philippians. Another passage that you don't normally um, really think about when it comes to Christmas. Um, but this, this it, it talks about Christmas. It talks about Jesus's life. It talks about his death. It talks about his resurrection. In fact, if there was one passage that if I think if you were to ask God, hey God, what were you thinking when you sent Jesus on that Christmas morning? What was, like, what was your plan for him? What was your goal for him? You know, what was in your mind of this is what Jesus is gonna do? I think one of the places that God would point us is to Philippians 2, verses five through 11, because it gives a overview, a, a big snapshot of this is what Jesus came to do. When Christmas morning, that first Christmas morning, when Jesus breathed his first breath, this was his life's plan. This is how he was going to live his life. And this is what it says, Philippians 5, I'm sorry, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then it explains, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, 
by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so I see this passage and I read this and I see this is what Jesus came to do and what it reminds me and tells me is that I can glorify God now the way that Jesus glorified God then. And that was through sacrifice. If I want to glorify God with my life, all I need to do is look at Jesus's life, what he did then I need to do now. And that's sacrifice, 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 And I think about some of the categories in which Jesus sacrificed, some of the categories which this passage uh, explains that Jesus did. And these are a few of them. These maybe can get you thinking about what in my life would sacrifice look like. One of the things I see that Jesus did was he, he forsook his comfortable place. He forsook his comfortable place. And one of the ways we can live our lives the way Jesus did and glorify God this Christmas season the way Jesus did by coming on that first Christmas morning is by forsaking our comfortable place. As I was saying before, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant by being made in human likeness. I can imagine that heaven was pretty comfortable before Jesus came to this earth. I'm sure it was pretty nice, perfection, holiness, no sin, no death, no heartache, no drama. That's a pretty comfortable place to be. And that's where Jesus was. And he came into this earth where we know there's sin, there's heartache, there's drama, there's death, there's scary things. There's so much in this world that he came into. And you probably have some comfortable places. I have some comfortable places. I was thinking about this this week. What is my most comfortable place? And I decided that my bed is my most comfortable place. Anybody agree? Your bed. So if you're a a parent of young kids, then you're like, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about because every night, get the bed, kids in bed about eight o'clock and I'll go do a couple things, jump in my bed and lay there. I'm just like, oh yes, comfort. And then what happens? Usually every night, one, two, probably three of my four kids all come in with some kind of like emergency need that they didn't have until I laid down in my comfortable bed. So one of my boys, he needs, um, or my boy, he needs water. He forgot to get water, even though we tell him every morning or every night, if you want water, get water before you go to bed. He needs water. Another one has some kind of, something starts hurting on her. Molly Kate, my youngest, her leg always hurts at night for some reason. It's just, my leg's hurting, my leg. Just go to bed, Molly Kate is not hurting. And then we always have one that comes in and has a question about like unicorns or something like that. They need to know the answer like right then and they can't go to bed until they know the answer. And what happens is I'm laying there and this is a picture of many of our lives in other areas. I'm laying there in my comfortable bed and I have to make a decision. Am I willing to get out of my bed and go downstairs and get my, my son some water for the night? The answer is usually no. Anybody else? No, I'm not doing that, right? Go get your own water. And then he comes back up, Daddy, I spilled water everywhere. <sighs> yep. But, um, but 
Or am I going to sit there and have this conversation about unicorns with my kid who should have been in bed 30 minutes ago? Or am I just going to say, go to bed, right? We have these comfortable places in our life. And that might not be yours, but it might be, you know, your finances, your finances could be your comfortable place where you've worked really hard to, to create a situation in your life where your finances are pretty good. And someone comes along and has a need, right? And you're like, my finances, they're pretty comfortable right now. If I, if I meet that need financially, that's gonna mess with, that's gonna mess with what I got here. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just your home life and, and how you've created your family. And maybe you have a, a, a brother or a sister or an extended family member who, you know, when they come into your life, there's always comfort disrupted. Anyone have that? There's people in your life that disrupt the comfort of your life. And every time you have to make a choice, am I gonna forsake my comfortable place? Am I gonna get out of this to show them love and to sacrifice for them? Or I'm just gonna pull away and stay comfort, stay in comfort. And Jesus always chose to forsake that comfortable place. He chose to take the hard step into being uh, uncomfortable for other people, for us every single day of his life. Here's another thing that Jesus did. He didn't just forsake his comfortable place. He also renounced his pride. That's huge. Who being in the very nature God, this says, talking about Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. If there's anyone who had a right on this earth to be prideful, it was Jesus. Like this is all powerful, all knowing son of God, creator of the world, walking around on this earth with us. Like he had a right to be prideful, right? And the one thing that describes Jesus more than anything else is humility. He, he decided that his status wasn't something that he was gonna to use to his own advantage. And if we're all honest with ourselves, we all play the saddest game, don't we? We all look at people and we put them into different categories. We decide, you know, this is our status. And then there's people who are under us. There's people who are with us. There's people who are above us. And if we were completely honest with ourselves, we would say at times we decide how we react to people based on the status that we see in them. Jesus never did that. Every time Jesus said, I have no status. My status is serving the father in heaven. My status is I am made in the image of God and everyone else is made in the image of God. And the whole story of Christmas, of Jesus's life, of Jesus's death, of the resurrection, of the gospel as a whole is that Jesus shattered statuses. And he said, every person is the same. Every person is made in the image of God. Every person is on a level plane. Every person needs to be loved and needs to be cared for sacrificially for the glory of God. And so the Christmas story reminds us that we have to renounce our pride. We have to forget about status. We have to see that we're all made in the image of God, all equal, all on the same plane, all in the need of our savior. Here's another thing that Jesus did. He renounced his pride. He forsook, forsook his comfortable place. Another thing he did is he asked the right questions. Jesus was really good at asking the right questions. I don't know about you, but I ask the wrong question a lot of times in my life. And I think you probably do. And this question is a question that we all struggle with and we all say at times. And here's the question. It's what can I get away with? 
Has anyone asked that question before? What can I get away with? No one. Wow. Y'all are, you've, you've asked the question. Maybe you haven't said it out loud, but you have shown yourself to ask it in ways that you deal with people. Any husbands in here, I am incredibly guilty of this. You can ask my wife, Lauren, right here, who your wife asked you to do something or you know she's, it would be helpful for you to do something and you don't like do it completely You do it like halfway, you do a little bit of it so that you feel good that you did some of it. And you're like, well, I probably can get away with just doing about this much. Anyone, anyone ever do that? I do that with our yard all the time. I don't like yard work. I did like half of the yard, that's that's good, right? And we, we ask, what can we get away with? But how about this? Have you ever had someone in your life that had a need? Someone in your life who you knew could really benefit from you loving them at the moment and caring for them. And instead of going all in to help them do whatever you can, in the back of their mind, you're thinking, well, here's a few things that I could do to let them know that I'm there. A few things to do to let them know that I'm, that I'm praying for them. A few things that I can do, so, but I can't do too much. I don't, I don't wanna you know, totally be uncomfortable. I don't want to, to totally you know, forsake where I am. I don't wanna totally sacrifice. I just wanna do a little bit so they know that I'm there, but I don't wanna do so much that it actually you know, hurts me in some way. Um, and that's another way of saying, what can I get away with? Think about the life of Jesus. Think about the life of Jesus. From the moment he was born, to the moment that he died and rose again, Jesus never asked the question, well, what can I, leave? What can I just get away with? Because Jesus could have gotten away with not doing a lot of the things that he did. Like Jesus could have lived a sinless life by staying away from sin and temptation. He could have died, he could have rose again, and he could have paid for our sins and we would have been good to go. That's all Jesus had to do. But Jesus did so much more than that. You know, he healed the sick. He fed the thousands. He cast demons out. He shared with people how to live. He brought these disciples around him. He rose, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He did so many things because he wasn't asking the question, well, what can I get away with? I think the question that Jesus was asking and that comes from this passage is how can I live and love sacrificially for God? How can I live in love every single day for God, my Father? And we know from scripture, we read that Jesus spent time alone with God all the time. And I'm sure he was talking about that with God. God, today, what can I do to give? Today, what can I do to give? Today, what can I do to give? It wasn't, God, give me today. God, give me today. God, give me a good day. Give me peace today. Give me happy kids. Give me people who aren't gonna come and complain. What can I do to give? What can I do to give? That's what Jesus asked every single day. And as we know, the Christmas uh, season is celebrating the greatest gift of all, that God gave his son. And so we all can learn, I can learn, you can learn, we can all learn from what happened at Christmas to remind us that we should always live sacrificially. We should always love people sacrificially. That the question that we should be asking isn't, well, what can I get away with? What can I get away with so that people think I care, but it doesn't hurt me too much? It's not too uncomfortable for me. We have to ask the question, what can I do that sacrifices me for other people? And that's truly where Christmas comes alive. That's truly where this season shines. It's where we as Christians 
don't just celebrate what we got. We got Jesus. We celebrate that. We celebrate God gave us Jesus. But he gave us Jesus so that we can give Jesus to other people. And so you only celebrate Christmas halfway when you celebrate what God gave us. You celebrate Christmas completely when you celebrate what God gave us and then in turn ask the question now, what can I give other people? How can I live sacrificially for others? How can I love sacrificially other people? And as I'm sitting, standing here and let's just pretend as Jesus was sitting right in front of you and looked at you and said, hey, there's this area in your life that you haven't been sacrificing, that you've been hoarding, that you've been selfish with. This area in your life, now is the time to be sacrificial in it. Now is the time to be selfless like I was selfless. Now's the time to give that up. Maybe it's someone in your life that you've kind of been holding, withholding some care for. Maybe it's a financial thing that you're like, yeah, this person needs my help, but ah, it's, it's uncomfortable for me to do that. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a son or daughter in your life that you've been withholding an important conversation because it would make things really awkward and uncomfortable. Maybe it's a dad or a mom that you maybe have something, a grudge against that you've never really fixed and you need to go and talk to them. Maybe it's a friend in your life that you've had something come between you and you know that you need to go to them and apologize and reconcile those things, but that's so hard and that's so uncomfortable and there's a lot of pride involved in that situation and you'd have to be selfless to do that and you'd have to be humble and apologize and you just won't, don't wanna do that. This Christmas season can remind us that those are the types of things that we need to do as Christians. We need to go out of our way to live and to love sacrificially. And every single one of us has something this Christmas that we can do to live in love sacrificially. And every one of us can learn how to, in our lives as a whole, to live in love sacrificially even better, even more like Jesus in the way that Jesus lived. When I think about Christmas, um, it's the greatest gift of all. God gave his son, Jesus, and not only that, as we talked about before, he didn't just give his son Jesus, he actually allowed Jesus to represent him in this world. He sent Jesus and Jesus became a picture in this world of the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God, our Father. Jesus died, Jesus rose again, Jesus ascended into heaven. And do you know what he said at the end of his life? He said, church, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn to represent God, the Father. Now it's your turn to be the picture of who God is to the world. Now it's your turn to show the grace, the love, the mercy, and the character of who God the Father is. And this Christmas season, we can remember that and we can go out and love the way that God has called us to love. Will you pray with me?